interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This episode, Matt Kelly and I look at the Capital One FinCEN enforcement action and draw lessons for the anti-bribery and anti-corruption compliance practitioner therefrom. Fascinating exploration of a case literally drawn from the news. But Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for yet another live stream of Compliance Into the Weeds, the podcast where we take a deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds. We are recording this on MLK Day. So first of all, welcome, Matt. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. So Matt, you had a post uh, today, or that went up, I guess, yesterday, about uh, Capital One, one of the more interesting enforcement actions uh, we've seen recently. You want to set the stage for it? Yeah, so this was announced by FinCEN late Friday uh, afternoon at the uh, dead of the news cycle, where uh, Capital One agreed to a $390 million penalty for various anti-money laundering compliance failures that had happened in, uh, get this, for how long the long arm of the law can be. This happened with a check cashing division that Capital One had run from 2008 to 2014. And then they sold the business and got out of the check check cashing uh, business seven years ago. And here we are seven years later, just now, uh, agreeing to a $390 million penalty. It's actually only going to be $290 million because Capital One did receive a $100 million credit for paying a fine in 2015 of $100 million to the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency for essentially the same sort of poor AML compliance uh, operations. And this all stemmed from uh, some check cashing joints, uh, storefront operations that you might see around town, uh, about 100 to 120 or so that... Capital One did not run these check cashing stores, but supported back-end office functions for those check cashing stores all around the New York and New Jersey area. We can get into all the details, but suffice to say, their AML compliance was not good, and it led to thousands and thousands of suspicious activity reports never being filed, Um, lots of willful ignorance of very sketchy uh, customers, including at least one customer who was known to Compliance One executives as being affiliated with the New York mob. And still, they had not filed any FinCEN and various other agencies then. So there's a whole lot of not good stuff that happened a long time ago. And $390 million later, here we are. So there's two, I don't want to say anomalous points uh, that I would like to add now. First of all, these uh, check cashing uh, fronts were uh, obtained by acquisition. Yes. These were not grown organically. And the even more anomalous, if there truly is an anomalous part to this case, in addition to the length of time between the incidents in question and the enforcement action, was Cap One sold these. And I think they sold them in 2013. They, um, they got out of the business by 2014, yes. So the, the period in question is 2008, when the check cashing group had been established. 
And then by 2014, they realized they needed to put this idea out of its misery and they got out of it by then. But yeah, seven years later, we're still here. We're, we're dealing with this. So the um, couple of other interesting things that I'd like you to maybe take a little bit deeper dive into, Matt, was number one, this was not a case of no compliance. There seemed to be, uh, if not robust compliance, certainly a, a strong compliance presence at Capital One, uh, but the regulators said it, the compliance was not effective. So I was wondering if you could detail a little bit about the compliance program Cap One had in place and why at the end of the day, uh, FinCEN uh, thought that it was uh, really not an effective compliance program. Yeah, we should uh, consider some of the history here. So in the mid-2000s, Capital One was on an expansion spree into the Northeast, and it scooped up several banks, including uh, North Fork Bank and Hibernia Bank, which both operated in the New York City metro area. And they were the ones who had this check cashing um, services operation going on, uh, armored car cash deliveries, uh, various other back end processing functions that those two banks provided to the check cashing places all around the New York City metro area. Um, their AML compliance programs were not good. That was known. Regulators had flagged AML compliance difficulties at both banks and then Capital One bought both banks anyways. And that was 06, 07. Uh, by 2008, Capital One had formed this check cashing group, that is the name, that took over all of these operations and apparently took over the AML compliance uh, problems that these two banks had brought with them. Uh, so right away, yet again, we have uh, due diligence failures or maybe um, a lack of appreciating just how much remediation wouldn't be necessary for your um, due diligence uh, as part of your due diligence program, looking at merger targets, whatever, here we are. Uh, it should also be known that OCC had separate concerns directly to Capital One with its own AML compliance around uh, capital, uh, around the check cashing group. And at the same time, around 2008, one of the check cashing group's business customers, one of those check cashing stores, uh, it got indicted along with its owner, uh, who was indicted personally on fraud charges. So flag, 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 all sorts of flags all over the place. And yet Capital One gamely sallied forth. Uh, FinCEN did say that they were, had an AML team for the check cashing group. Uh, and it did build out what we might call or what might look like on paper some pretty good, reasonable, enterprise-wide compliance procedures, but they were not implemented in any effective and consistent way across the whole business. Um, and when you are your business is dealing with a whole bunch of small, small forefront customers, hither and yon, who might have different money laundering risk, and you know this is cashing, and you know it, it, it's a matter of degree about how much individual risk there is with a check cashing store. It's, you know, super high or very high or high. There's no such thing as a low risk check cashing joint. Uh, these things are currently very risky businesses as to customer agents and money during the business activity. Uh, so FinCEN's first point was that um, the executives at Capital One, like they focus too much on the program design 
it looked good, but they didn't focus on the execution of all of these enterprise-wide procedures. So they were inconsistent for what is an inherent risky business under the best of circumstances. And capital had just gone in, eyes at least three separate issues that had red flags. They went in under really challenging circumstances with sketchy merger targets our own AML compliance pro. Look, one of the customers there, they just got indicted by the New York District. So I think it really just, the first lesson here is how are you thinking through X implementation of all this stuff you sketch out on paper? Um, it is correct to have an enterprise-wide compliance program, but it needs to be applied. The needs to work and the application of it needs to be consistent among a very, very versed, robust sort of customer base of all of these check cashing joints all over Manhattan and New York and Jersey. Um, so that I could stop up there. We had some other issues, but that was like the big issue about program development and planning that stood out to me as I read through uh, FinCEN's statement of facts in the consent order. Matt, um, in addition to the program development focused by the senior management, FinCEN criticized the operation of the compliance program by the compliance function. This is unusual to see this in a um, really any enforcement action, but I was wondering if you could talk about the risk ranking, what the compliance function came up with, and why at the end of the day, FinCEN found their risk ranking and risk assessment process for individual customers wanting. This was a pretty interesting meet from FinCEN at the due procedure. So the due diligence that a financial firm should be performing for compliance with the Bank Secrecy Act is to build a customer risk profile. And the way that compliance, uh, that uh, Capital One was trying to do this was using a spreadsheet algorithm, a macro, to tally up all customer X's uh, debits and credits and get a good sense of what are their recent activity for this customer. We would compare that to the historical record of customers' uh, financial transactions and activity to be able to get a sense of is the recent activity we're looking at statistically significant in the deviation or departure from past historical pattern. We want to do some data analytics on the transactions to figure out um, is what they're doing lately different from what they have historically done. That's a good start. You shouldn't not do that. FinCEN's big bone of contention was that ultimately that's most of what Capital One did. Almost all of what Capital One did was just do a statistical analysis to find the pattern. And then they just asked, well, could that be explained by the business the customer is in? Is there some reasonable explanation for the deviation? If there is, okay, that's fine. We're going to close this customer due diligence review. That's not enough. What doing was also looking at other types of customer due diligence information available to Capital One and that they were calling but they weren't taking a big consolidated view of the customer to get complete customer profile. Um, and so you would wind up with potentially very sketchy customers 
things that looked law or could be explained in a lawful way, but it doesn't change the fact that, the, as we said, at least one of these customers that Capital One had for its check cashing operation, a known associate of Genevieve's crime family, New York. Um, he did get, I think, admitted and ultimately pleaded out to some racketeering charges. So who cares how you might explain away a person's like that are by definition going to be high risk, period. Um, so there was a lot of calling out FinCEN there. Uh, see if I can get the exact phrase. One, improperly used consistency is the primary for reasonableness, overlooking nature or apparent lawfulness of their underlying activity patterns they're in. Kind of a mouthful, but basically saying that can't only rely on data analytics for a customer risk profile or only transactional analysis. That is a first step, but it's not the only step. And in many ways, it's probably not even going to be the most important. There's plenty of other due diligence that you should be looking at, adverse media reports, background checks, prior criminal history that could all factor in. And suddenly your, your transactional is going to be seen in a very light. If you and Capital One had not done at all that in a way that FinCEN would have like to see. Matt, I'm going to ask you to hold on that point because I find that to be perhaps the most significant thing in the enforcement action. But now go to an area that we have seen uh, the Department of Justice criticize uh, compliance departments for in FCPA enforcement actions, which was that an entanglement, as you put it, uh, between compliance and the first line of defense. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, this was the other big thing that stuck out to me in the, the FinCEN order was that um, okay, so here we are. We're Capital One. We're doing a, a vicious activity analysis. An AML compliance analyst would find potentially suspicious activity. They did. They, you know, in, in this check cashing group that Capital One, they had some very high risk customers in that group out of the whole bank. Uh, so they found at least 30 customers in that check cashing group where the AML compliance analysts were flagging their activities really suspicious. What would happen then? The AML compliance analyst would go to the relationship manager for that customer under scrutiny in first line of defense and say, what are you thinking on? And don't be surprised, those relationship managers would come back with or reasons that would miraculously exceed the suspicious activity. Uh, and some of the excuses were included Included in the FinCEN order, you know, uh, this is related to Hurricane Sandy, which struck, I think, in 2012, if I remember my history right. High number of customers in February because tax refunds being cashed at these stores or looking to manage down excessive currency. Uh, FinCEN diplomatically described these answers as implausible actions, quote unquote. Uh, but AML compliance, you know, they would get these answers back from the first line of defense and then say, uh, okay, here's my rubber stamp and away we go. Uh, there was not enough autonomy or empowerment skepticism from the AML compliance analysts to back to those first line defense people say, that's it, we're going to buy it, give us a better answer, or the compliance analyst would not have discretion to say, I'm going to go and pursue this anyways, because it seems like you're giving money. Uh, there's just too much of 
compliance in the second line of function, uh, second line of defense, having to pull over and take the first line of defense would give them about allegations of conduct or suspicious activity. I've seen that time and time again, Tom. We saw this pretty much the exact same happening with Deutsche Bank and its FCPA settlement that was announced one week ago. Um, they have these client managers in the first line of defense incentive to keep the relationship going. So you get a compliance person allegations of misconduct that needs some, well, what do you think is going to happen? Line of defense people are going to say, eh, not a big this, it's that, it's hurricane, it's something. And there wasn't enough of the skepticism, another big complaint from FinCEN. Um, because of that, because this suspicious activity was not fully invested, suspicious reports were not and that one for thousands of SARs that have been filed, not, not filed, and millions and millions of dollars that flow through these stores of suspicious origin, and they should not have been, and yet they did, because we entanglements first line of defense. Matt, I'd like to go back to your second point, and I'd like to read the reread the quote that you gave, uh, which was, in other words, Fenton said, Capital One improperly used consistency as the primary benchmark for reasonableness, overlooking the nature or apparent lawful purpose of the customer's underlying activity and the patterns therein. And the reason I think this part of the FinCEN order or settlement and your quote is so significant is the following. In the FCPA world, we have never seen a company or a compliance officer criticized for making the wrong decision or in legal parlance, negligence. What we have seen is criticism for uh, paper programs uh, policies and procedures that uh, and controls that were overridden. But here we seem to be moving to closer to a negligence standard that, yes, you did have a risk management system and a risk, and a risk management profile, but we find your risk management profile ineffective and your use of it not, be, not reasonable or indeed unreasonable. And that's the, the thing that really struck me about this enforcement action was that we were we're moving, or it seems to be we're moving towards evaluating the effectiveness of compliance programs, which we really have not seen in the FCPA world, and and that would be a sea change if the government's going to start uh, evaluating effectiveness as opposed to simply if there's a violation. Well, I would be the first to say that's a good point that needs further scrutiny, and I personally do not have enough experience to pre-ML due diligence and comments sorted out and is how different from what we see in FCPA enforcement. Um, I, off the top of my head, I would say that poor due diligence and customer oversight in money laundering can lead to many more mistakes and much more severe mistakes more quickly. Poor due diligence over anti-corruption where you know, if you're going to run a big bribery scam, that takes a significant amount of time. But if you want to just do a quick, uh, some sort of money laundering tax avoidance scheme, you can set that up and you know, swindle some thousands of transactions through pretty quickly, especially if it's a retail operation dealing with so such a large volume of transactions. Um, but I do take your point that it would be very interesting to see that. 
Um, really, FinCEN seemed to me to be getting at where was the skepticism and where was the ability to look at a whole customer rather than just rely too much on data analytics. And like I said, nobody's ever going to say data analytics is unimportant. In fact, data analytics was one of the big themes of the Justice Department's guidance just last year about effective compliance programs. And that guidance applies across the board, including to AML and Bank Secrecy Act issues. But uh, it can't be the only one. And it can't be the only one, especially dealing with known customers and known high-risk. Check cashing is a high-risk business, and you do plenty of sketchy customers in that line of work. Everybody knows it. Um, so Capital One, it's no excuse to say, well, we didn't not know it, you know, how could we have known? Well, you know, when you set this group up, one of your big customers got indicted the same year and you still went at this years later on. It was just a inability to the job done and build the compliance program up to where it should have. Uh, and the funny part is after Capital One closed down the check cashing group, after it got out of the business from 2014 onward, it actually gives Ken a lot of praise for all the work that they have after that to build up their compliance program. They tripled their budget for the AML uh, compliance team. They tripled the AML compliance staff. It's just they did all that after they realized this check cashing thing is not a winning horse for us. Get out of the race. Uh, so all of that happened after they uh, got out of there. But then they did make all the uh, improvements that it seemed press Vincent, and they just did it later than they should have. Let me pick up on your use of the word skepticism. Our colleague Jonathan Marks talks about that term quite often in the context of internal audit. Um, I've not heard that term applied to compliance officers specifically. I talk about trust but verify. Uh, you talk about having, I think, having a questioning attitude or a questioning mind, and maybe that's skepticism. Uh, but it that by you using that term, which I generally associate with auditors, it seems like uh, FinCEN is moving uh, the bar for compliance officers uh, in your example of Deutsche Bank, and I would point to Goldman Sachs, to have more skepticism and to test perhaps more when they receive an answer or pushback from the front line or the business units involved. I mean, that's a good point. And I thought about Jonathan Marks and skepticism, too. Um, I, I don't know if this is a new trend for FinCEN. I have plenty of AML compliance acquaintances of mine who are saying this was really bad and Capital One should have known better. Um, there is no mention of internal audit in this FinCEN settlement. So I do not know if were there internal audit of the AML compliance program? Did they raise any red flags? Um, did they raise red flags about prior red flags and action items never got any action? I have no idea what did or didn't happen with Capital One on that front. Um, but we do, I, I think that as business transactions, as their cycle time accelerates, um, by definition, you're going to need to be better at preventive controls and preventive maneuvers. And skepticism is going to be part of that. Skepticism is going to have to be like, no, there's no way this is legit. We're not going to get into this can of worms. We're not going to. Um, that's going to become much more, more important rather than detective controls after the fact to clean up an enormous can of worms that opened almost immediately because business so quickly these days. 
so I wonder about that. I wonder about how this will uh, unfold during the Biden administration. We're getting more and more insights into who specifically is going to run a lot of the regulatory agencies for Joe Biden. And these are not vouchers on enforcement. So there's going to be more enforcement. How many of them will in their enforcement messages kind of pick up on the skepticism idea, the come on, how did you not know this sort of attitude? Um, you have no idea how that might be the next four years, but I think they'll find out. Well, this has been a fascinating explanation, uh, or rather exploration. And perhaps uh, one thing we could end on is whatever uh, the reasons, this was a pretty hefty fine, uh, $390 million with $100 million credit, but that's, that's still a, a fair amount of change for a bank to have to pay. It is. And let's remember this is investigations. There's been millions more in remediation work and legal fees and everything else. So I'm sure the total cost of this was higher than the $390 million and a lot higher than anything Capital One would have paid to implement good compliance at the start 12 years ago. You know, I can't think of a better way to end a podcast. So on that note, I'm just going to end it. That was great, Matt. All right. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Also, check out the show notes where I have additional resources available in forms of blog posts written by Matt or myself. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive literally going into the Compliance Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.